0: Listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On The Road is proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving level crossing safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au and NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. Sure by now you
1: will all know or have heard Annie and I both say that people are welcome to call in and chat with us and will tell their story or talk about things that they want to talk about. Recently, I was approached by a a bloke through a mutual friend who wanted to tell his story. Now, I'm willing to talk about just about anything on the show. If it's transport related, then it'll get a Guernsey. When Darren Pincini told me what his story was, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I didn't know how to, I suppose, put it into the show Darren's story is an important story because it is an object lesson in what can happen and it's an object lesson in the benefits of being able to say to your boss, no, I'm going to do this and we're going to try and be legal. Darren's life could now be very, very different if he hadn't had the intestinal fortitude to say no on the day his accident happened. So we're going to have a talk about the accident. We're going to get into that. We'll get into a bit of history first, though, because this incident's not the first one that Darren's been involved in. We'll have a bit of a chat about what's happened to him in his transport life beforehand, a bit of a chat about his dad and a few other things. There's places in here where we have a laugh, but there are some places in this story that are really quite confronting, and you should be warned about that before we listen. Anyway, this is the chat that I had with Darren. I think we've left it pretty much alone. There's nothing being cut out, I'd like to think that we've done the story justice, and I will say that if anything in this story causes you any grief, please feel free to reach out to any of our friends, Healthy Heads and Traction Sheds, Beyond Blue, all those places that we talk about, because sometimes some of these things do get the better of us. Here's the chat I recorded with Darren earlier. Darren Passini, welcome to On The Road. Thanks for having me,
2: Mike. How are you today?
1: Mate, I'm absolutely wonderful. Glorious day here in Sydney. The sun is shining down on us. We're quite happy.
2: Are you sure it's not
1: raining? I'm pretty sure. I've looked out the window. Uh, Look out. No, no rain today, mate. Sorry. Good work. (laughs) So, as I said, mate, you've been around for a while. You started uh, as a coach driver.
2: I did. Back in the mid-80s. Yep. I grew up in a bus family. My dad was one of the pioneers of running And we call them buses, and I still do to this day. There's no such thing as a coach captain. They're bus drivers. (laughs) Anyway, he was one of the first people to run camping tours up through Central Australia back in the 60s, 70s. He's passed away now. Two of my brothers are still in buses. One's National Operations Manager for Australian Pacific Tours over in Broome now. Another one runs a fleet of buses here at Digger's Rest in Melbourne. I think he's got about 20 or 30 coaches. Right. Still runs the odd camping tour up through the centre. So I guess we've got a little bit of history in the transport industry. They've stayed in buses. I've moved away from buses for a number of reasons and things that happened in my career. I reckon that would be all right, though, getting the walk-on, walk-off
1: traffic and going for a bit of a drive up through the middle of Australia on a coach tour. that would be all right, wouldn't it? Oh, look, it's not
2: too bad. I met my first wife as a passenger on the bus. Well, she was a passenger on the bus and you... She was a passenger, I was the driver, mm-hmm. and about two o'clock in the morning, she just thought I was so good looking, she had to come down and talk to me. The rest is history.
1: The rest is history. All right, well, I'm pretty sure I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, down. <laughs> Sounds like it could be entertaining, but not. No. <laughs> so you, you swapped over to driving trucks now, mate. I believe you've done everything except stock, a bit like me.
2: Yeah, I won't say I've done everything. I've had a diverse career. I've worked in operations, I've driven taut liners, tippers, trucking dogs around town, Mm. tankers, flat tops. The only thing I haven't done is cart stock, but I do think they're probably cleaner than some of the passengers I've carted in my time.
1: (laughs) Probably a little bit less vocal than some of them, too, I would imagine. (laughs) Maybe. So... You're just cleaning your truck out today and you're about to head off on holiday, mate. You see what you've been doing overnight express, you tell me.
2: Yeah, I work for a company out of Adelaide, really good to work for. Mm. We get paid kilometre rate. We also get an hourly rate to load and unload, which is the way it should be, but not that common, as we know in the industry. It's an industry that works on very slim margins. Mm. And about the only variable that you can screw down sometime as a driver. You can't go to the bowser and say, listen, I'm only going to give you fifty a litre for your diesel today.
1: No, oh, no, BP don't respond well to that, do they?
2: No, no, they, they tend to call the men in blue.
1: <laughs> the mechanics don't like you to tell them how much you're going to pay them an hour either. They sort of stick to their guns.
2: Yes, but it tends to be that you can tell the driver what he's going to do and what he's going to get paid for and what he's not going to get paid for. And mm. I guess over the years, I've worked where I thought the conditions were good, as in I've got paid for what I did, mm. reasonable rest, and not unrealistic expectations. I think one of the things that really is tough in this industry, a lot of people find it very difficult to say no. Yeah. For a number of reasons, whether it be financial, cultural, as in workplace culture, a number of reasons. And I had the experience back in 2016 where I decided to say no. And later that evening, I was involved in a fatality. Hmm. But the thing was, after it had the fatality, my book was squeaky clean. Hmm. I hadn't been speeding. I'd had my rest breaks. Had I not stood my ground that day and gone and loaded the truck, I wouldn't have had a seven-hour break cleanly in probably in the last 36 hours since I left Melbourne. Yeah,
1: right. Well, obviously, you know, this is what we're here to talk about today, what happened at Tyndale in 2016. I mean, I appreciate your intestinal fortitude to come on the show and talk about something like this. Obviously, probably one of the most traumatic experiences you've ever had in your life. I can't think of anything much worse, really.
2: It's up there. I've had two pretty traumatic experiences. I was um, involved in the bus accident at Grafton in 1989 where 21 were killed and 22 passengers were injured. Right. I was the operations manager in Victoria. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I I no longer am in the bus industry. Yeah. I can secure my surroundings and make them reasonably safe. If something goes wrong, the chances are it will only be me that's dramatically affected. If you've got 50 people sitting behind you, I... I don't quite know that I've got what it takes anymore because of what's happened to bear that responsibility. Yeah.
1: So you weren't actually driving one of those coaches, obviously. You were. You, you said you were in operations.
2: I was the operations manager for Sunliner Express in those days. And mm. unfortunately, for 10 years, Channel 7 showed footage of that bus being lifted off the ground yep. onto the back of a semi-trailer yep. on each of their ads for their Channel 7 news. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty tough.
1: It's one of those things that uh, I think if you've been involved in... So I often wonder about that sort of thing. I mean, I see things that I've been involved in, as we all do, and you know that it makes you think about it. I can't possibly begin to comprehend what it might have been like for you to have to see that. It would certainly be something that would stop you watching it, I think. you would.
2: It does. It, mm. I didn't watch a lot of television for a, for a long time because every time I turned the TV on, this would be on.
1: Yeah. Would you like to talk about the aftermath from that incident for a little while, or is that just too tough for you?
2: No, no. Look, I'm pretty strong mentally. I coped with a lot of – I wasn't the person who was at the forefront of the investigation, but as time went on, I made the decision to leave the bus and coach industry, which is, you know, something that I had a passion for. I grew up with it. Yeah. You know, if I can, I'll tell you a bit of a funny story. Please. I was about 11 years old, I think I was, and Dad – Had buses running up through Central Australia and in those days ran bedfords They were a big bus. Yep. Anyway, one blew up at Ayers Rock. It was called Ayers Rock in those days and you were still allowed to climb it. So dad and his best mate, Tommy Dallow, they put a crankshaft on the plane, set of pistons, toolboxes, all the things they needed. Mm. And we're off to Ayers Rock via Alice Springs because they're going to fix it in the car park. Unreal. They rebuilt it in the car park. Anyway, we get to Alice Springs and dad and Tommy, they love to rum. And you could only buy Karuba rum in those days in Alice Springs. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I remember we've gone around to Kay's Rent-A-Car. He's a mate of Dad's.
1: This is not going to end well, is it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you hit the nail on me. It's got a funny ending, though. <laughs> so we, we go around there, and I remember to this day it was a yellow XA Falcon station wagon. Yep. And you've got to have a couple of roadies when, you, when you're in Alice Springs, you know. You've got you've got, yep. you've got to have a couple of roadies, so they've gone and had I'd like to say a couple of Carubas. <laughs> it was probably a couple of dozen. Yep. Two bottles of Caruba in the car, oh dear. a slab of Coke. You now There's no refrigeration in these days. The only way you do it is you drive along, mm. you tip the top inch out of the can, you pour the Karuba in, you continue on. Mm. Now, it'd been raining and it was only 50 kilometres of bitumen out of Alice Springs in those days and the rest of it was dirt. Yep. So I reckon they got to the end of the bitumen and Dad said, Darren... Your turn to drive. Right. I'm 11 years old. Right. So him and Tommy, they're, they're, they're we'll just say, a little bit pie-eyed. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're continuing on with the Karuba, telling a few stories. Anyway, in those days, you know, someone was stopped on the side of the road or broken down, everyone would stop. And, yeah. You know, and it'd sometimes take two days to fix a spare tyre because the tyre would get changed and out come the cartons, then they come the barbecue. Yeah. And they'd continue on. But anyway... There was a bus bogged and, you know, you always stop for another bus. Yeah. Anyway, Dad and Tommy have had a few and they got, he's got his can of Karuva and it turns out it was a Catholic girls high school from Sydney mm-hmm. and there was a priest on there right. and Dad's wandering around and, you know, and Dad was a real character. Yep. Known and loved by a lot of people, finished up, uh, he was honoured in the Hall of Fame in Elder Springs for his service to the bus and coach industry. One of his proudest days, I think, but. Anyway, so he's wandering around and this priest comes over. He said, Father, he said, would you like a drink of Coke? (laughs) Father looks at him and he said, oh, he said, that'd be fantastic. He looks at it, he gives it to him. He has the first mouthful. His eyes light up. Yep. And then he sculls the can. He looks at my dad and he said, Christ, that was good Coke. You got any more? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear. So... Yeah, we finally got into Alice Springs. That was, I think that was my first experience of driving overnight. Oh, wow. Yeah, we got into it. It was a very different country back then, though. It was a different set of rules. Yeah. You couldn't do that today. And I've told that story at my dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. And you know, a couple of people said to me, oh, you shouldn't have been doing that. That's not something to be proud of. I said, well, I don't think you understand. We lived in a different world then.
1: Yeah, we did. We did. We're going to just sort of get into this sunliner thing in the in the aftermath of that, and without talking about the TV and things like that. I mean, did you have an understanding of what was going on as far as the investigation was concerned into the
2: incident? I spoke every day with the national operations manager who was based in Brisbane. Yeah, and I was very aware of. You would almost say pain that he was going through on a daily basis. Yeah. The big saving grace for Sunliner, they were one of the first companies anywhere to have a maintenance contract with Scania. Right. So there, there was no issues about safety of the vehicle. Yeah. If there was a problem with the vehicle, the driver would simply ring, up, ring me or my counterpart in Brisbane. It would be arranged for Scania to be fixed. Yeah. We didn't run out drivers over hours. We did a shuttle where one would come down to Kempsey, get out, go to a motel room, get back in ten hours later, go back to Brisbane. Right. We did the same thing out of Melbourne. They would go to Yas, have ten hours off, come back to Melbourne. Mm. That well, no, I did learn then. If you do everything right, yes. the ramifications to yourself, even though you are in a catastrophic event, yep. are a hell of a lot less. And you know, we hear of drivers going to jail. And I think there seems to be an increase of that of late. Yep. And that's one of the reasons I thought I would come and talk to you about why it is so important for us as professional drivers out on the highway, regardless of what happens, and it is getting worse at present because there's less drivers, fuel prices are going through the roof, COVID has reduced the amount of resources, the amount of drivers, there's loads stacking up. Everyone wants more for less.
1: That's right, yep
2: which ultimately puts pressure on us as the drivers. We have to learn to say no. We have to learn to say we're tired. Mm. We have to learn that our family has a place in our life. We can't just keep going week after week after week and not get home. Yeah. And also, you know, the bosses have to understand this. I think there's a lot of good bosses out there, but there's still a few that are operating in the 80s. Yeah,
1: that's right. More than one, I think.
2: Well, we're not going to name names, but we know they're out there. Yeah. I think seven or eight years ago, I probably made the decision that I wasn't going to be used and abused. And I've worked for pretty good companies since then. And when Tyndale happened, I was glad I was working where I was. I don't believe that the aftercare I was given was sufficient. With the
1: investigation with the bus incident, obviously you've said that the fact that you guys were doing everything pretty much straight up and down and with your drivers and with your maintenance and all the rest of it. It made the impression on you, as you've said, that if you were at least trying to do the right thing, then the ramifications, if things go sideways, aren't quite so bad.
2: Yes. Even the recommendation, because there was obviously a fairly large coroner's inquest. Yeah. Coroner Waller, I believe, was his name. Most of the recommendations he made were really to do with roads and recommended that the Pacific Highway be upgraded to dual carriageway. Yeah. Well, that was in 1989. And when did we get dual carriageway? 2018?
1: Yeah, we've only just really sort of finished. We haven't even finished. We've still got cops to go, haven't we?
2: So I see that it took nearly 30 years for the coroner's recommendations to be fulfilled.
1: Oh, we can't rush into these things, mate. This is transport we're talking about. <laughs>
2: Yes. You can't rush into it. I noticed the dual carriageway to Canberra, which finished a lot earlier.
1: (laughs) You're nearly as cynical as I am, Darren. (laughs) Never. I'd like to round out this bus incident if we can. Sure. The aftermath of the bus, we've had the coroner's inquiry. There were recommendations. You've obviously had to think about what you're going to do and ultimately changed directions and gone into general freight. There were ramifications for the whole bus industry, though, weren't there, the coach industry?
2: There was, because if you remember another six weeks later, there was another catastrophic further up the road at Cowper. That's right. And the first thing that happened is they introduced overnight 80-kilometre speed limits on the whole transport industry. Yeah. And then it went to 90, and it was about that time that speed limiting was brought in to 100 k's an hour.
1: We've got a long history of making big decisions based on real outliers. I mean, there hadn't been a major incident involving coaches or passenger coach before either of those had there,
2: no, they you know they've been the odd accident. Yeah. No, no, when you know if you've got something and it moves, it's going to eventually be involved in accidents, of course. But they've, but there have been nothing major. Hmm. Well, since then, I think,
1: I mean, we've had a couple of buses be involved in accidents. School buses have been. I remember one being hit. I think it was up at Cessnock, wasn't it? Was hit by a truck. Yes. And we've had that chap that had the close encounter with Montague Bridge as well.
2: Well, he went to jail. Did he? He's out now. No one was seriously hurt in that incident, Mm. but he did spend... I stand to be corrected, but I know he did go to jail. Mm. He was released later on appeal, but I do believe that he spent 12 months inside over that incident.
1: Yeah. It just goes to show, though, that there are consequences for what we do as professional drivers. Sometimes if you make a mistake, even if it's an inadvertent one, you can pay a pretty heavy price.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things is... So many of us have the misbelief that it will never happen to us. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? We'll talk about Tyndale in a minute. Mm. I was doing nothing wrong. I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. And as we know, even suicide by truck is on the increase.
1: Well, that's the subject that I wanted to sort of talk about a little bit. Although that wasn't the case for you at Tyndale, was it?
2: No, I was southbound through Tyndale on the old road, 80km an hour speed limit. It was about 10 o'clock at night. It was pretty clear. A lot of guys will remember Tyndale. You'd go down past the motel and then you would go around a long left-hand sweeper in the 80km an hour zone. Hmm. The car coming north, and there's a lot to this story, went straight ahead, didn't see the curve, clipped the car in front of me, spun him around and then stopped sideways and I T-boned him. Hmm. It turns out that there was a young guy of about 19 driving a rental car, which you can't get. Hmm. He was driving in ski mittens. There was a large commercial quantity of drugs in the car, a large amount of cash, electronic scales, and a machete. Nice. He definitely shouldn't have been there, but... I was involved, wrong place, wrong time. I'm just going down there. It's an 80K an hour zone. I'm doing 78Ks an hour. Yeah. And that's what the GPS confirmed. I look up and I see what's going on. I see the car in clip and I've got over as far as I could, but I couldn't go any further because we had, I call them the cheese cutter wires. Yeah. yeah. I was hard up against that. I actually stopped. They tell me about eight centimetres off the cheese cutter. Got right, it. Eh? Had it not been there, would I have gone off the road? Most definitely. Yeah. Would I have missed him? I don't know. Hypotheticals are great. The impact, pretty much. At time of impact, I think I hit him at about 60 k's an hour. It all happened in a split second. And so I say a split second, probably the space of a second. Mm. We got him out of the car. He was resuscitated. There was someone arrived who had some nursing background. They resuscitated him on the bitumen but he passed away oh, literally only two or three minutes later.
1: Nothing that you could do, nothing that you could possibly have done could have altered what happened there, I don't think.
2: No, this is what my message is here today. And again, the reason for talking to you about something that's happened to me, I would not like to have seen what the ramifications to me would have been had I not clearly had a seven-hour break, Mm. which is in my logbook, but they also confirmed by GPS, Mm. had I been in that accident because I shouldn't have been there. If I hadn't had a seven-hour break, I shouldn't have been there. So, therefore, that opens up another can of worms. Now, that happened about 10 o'clock at night. I think the road was cleared by about 5 o'clock in the morning. Someone from RECAR came out, they're on-road assistance. I sort of hung around until the road was cleared. What we'll do,
1: we'll just take a second, we'll give you a chance to gather your thoughts. You know, we've we've sort of established what's happened now. Yeah. What I'd like to go through, if you're okay with it. Yeah, I'm fine. Is what happened after, like, from when the police arrived and things started to happen, I'd like to know what happened to you, what your personal experience was. So take a minute, we'll have a quick break, and we'll just come back to that. Yep. All right, well, we're back after a little short break. Now, I just wanted to take a bit of time and make sure Darren was okay before we continued because I've got to tell you, mate, I'm not okay with it. I've got the mental images of what's happening and uh, I can understand, I can feel where you were and what must have been going through your mind or what I think must have been. I'm just wondering when the police arrived, is it starting to sink in what's going on here
2: for you? It's sunk in, I'm definitely in shock. Mm. I've made my obligatory phone calls to my operations manager, one of the owners of the company rang me. Yep. His first question was, How's the truck?
1: Of course. Awesome. Wonderful.
2: Not how are you? How's the truck? Yeah. Then all the you know, all the services start to arrive, fire brigade and an SES, then you know, eventually accident appreciation turns up and they start to do their investigation. Before that happens, I'm taken away down to Grafton Hospital yep. for drug and alcohol, which was both, I was tested on site, obviously, for breath, obviously, I was 0, zero. then taken down to Grafton Hospital, and then blood samples were taken to be sent away for analysis. You know, I was asked, do I have any concerns? No, I don't. Hmm. You know, Look, I grew up in the same era as you, Mike. We used to go to the black and white chemist in Liverpool. Yeah, I, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I just dobbed you in. (laughs) Anyway, so I had no real concerns there. And look, I'm in a state of shock. Yeah. I'm concerned. I was really concerned about there was a father and his young son in the car that the other car clipped. Yeah. I think I spent the first half hour after the accident sitting with them. Yeah, right. Getting them a bottle of water, making sure they're okay. Yeah. My concern was more them than anything else until people could arrive and help them out. I actually got a really nice note from him uh, a few months later, just thanking me for what I'd done for him. And he was in you know a state of shock as well. And his son was crying. Yeah. So my concern really was with them, which in a way was good because it took the focus off. I didn't have to think about me.
1: Yeah. Well, what was going on with the traffic? Obviously, I mean, this is a pretty big crash. I mean... The road would have been stopped. Traffic would have been stopped in both directions.
2: Stopped for about seven hours.
1: Right. So there would have been a bit of a queue up. Yes. The guys going up and down both ways would have been there. Did anyone come and offer you a hand or help what was going on? Or
2: About three hours later, Recar have an accident assistance service where they've got people dotted all over the countryside that come out to accidents. Yeah. He turned up. I'll reserve my judgment on, I think, how he helped me out.
1: Mm. I'm talking more about other drivers at the scene.
2: Yeah, look, the guy behind me who just about finished up behind me come up and he said, I don't know how you stopped. Yeah. They were good, you know. But again, because of the amount of police around, I think they tended to want to take a back seat a little bit. And then the area commander turned up and a really nice lady. I don't remember her name. Yeah. Because it was quite political that Pacific Highway, we need to get accidents cleared as quick as we can. Yeah. They brought out the senior hierarchy to accidents like this just to make sure that things happened as quick as they possibly could. And she actually took me aside and asked me how I was feeling and she actually gave me some words of advice which are quite blunt mm. but I think helped get me through the whole situation. She said, in the next few days, she said, You're gonna feel like shit. Mm. She said, But just remember the person who caused this accident is the one who died. Hmm. No innocent people were actually killed. And she said, that's what I'm thankful of. And she said, you've got to hang on to that. She said, I can see that you've done nothing wrong. Yeah. It's tough though, isn't it? It's tough. It's a shitty situation to be in. You know, again, we go, oh, we don't think this can happen to us. And I'm thinking twice to me. Yeah. First a bus and now me driving one. Yeah. Anyway, so by about 5.30 or so, they said, oh, you can go. And I just, I really wanted to hang around the scene. And I think probably for my own clarification to see how everything finished up. Yeah. So eventually, you know, when the tow truck turned up, I was taken back to Grafton by the guy from Recar. Let's get this straight. So did, did, you'd been taken to Grafton and brought back,
1: or you hadn't had the blood test in that You'd been taken straight there?
2: And- no, I'd been taken to Grafton and brought back to the accident scene. Well, by the Highway Patrol. By the highway patrol.
1: Right. Did they arrest
2: you? No, no, no arrest. Just uh, mandatory. They just compelled you to go? Compelled me to go. Yep. I was told if I didn't go, I could be arrested.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Yep. I just wanted to find out. I mean, how did the cops treat you, though? All in all, pretty good.
2: Hmm. They are under an extreme amount of pressure. Of course. They need to get this road cleared. They're trying to work out what's going to happen. The accident appreciation really couldn't get his head around what happened. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was no dash cam footage of the incident. I drive now with a dash cam. went and bought myself one not long after. Of course. I think that they're a lifesaver.
1: Yeah, they are, yeah. So you've been to Grafton. You've come back. You've, you've stayed around for the clean-up. You've got old mate there from Recar that's supposedly questionably helping you or not. Yeah. They're clearing the road. They hook your truck up to the wrecker. Did they police impound it, did they? Or did it get taken to repairs or...?
2: It was taken down to a yard where it was impounded for inspection. Right. The worst thing for me was Mm. the guy from Recar was okay. Yep. But it was obvious after a couple of hours, all he wanted to do was go home. Trying to find a motel at Grafton at that time of the night was near impossible. Mm. I Googled and rang probably 20 motels. Yep. To the stage, he said, oh, mate, if I can't find your motel, I'll have to take you back to the truck. You'll have to sleep in the truck. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I looked at him. I said, mate, are you serious? I said, I'll go and sleep on a park bench before I sleep in this truck again tonight. Yeah. Fortunately, I managed to get a motel about six o'clock. Yeah. I I didn't sleep all that day. I managed to get two or three stubbies. I think if I could have got a bottle of rum, I really wanted a bottle of Karuba that the old man had. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So later that day, the training manager for the company I worked for, drove down from Brisbane, picked me up. Right. Did all the paperwork with him. Went back to Brisbane, caught a plane back to Melbourne. Right. So what happened to all your gear out of the truck? Was it left in the truck or? No, I finished up going to Bunnings and getting a couple of those red and white plastic moving bags and packed all my gear up into that in the morning of the accident. Hmm. And and then I grabbed my logbook off the dash and opened it up and the last seven pages have been removed with a signature taken by, uh, I think it was the RTA in those days. There had so many name changes, how can we keep up?
1: That's right, yeah.
2: Got to give someone a million dollars to change the uniforms and change the name and change the energy. (laughs) I think I want to be a consultant for name changes. So then on a plane back to Melbourne, I was actually booked to go on holidays two days later. I was actually off to Bali for a couple of weeks. Did you go? I definitely went. Yep. I probably drank too much for the next two weeks.
1: Why wouldn't you? I think I would too.
2: I was a mess and I'm fairly strong. Yes, I react on the day. Give me a night's sleep and a couple of beers. Mm. I'll get up the next day and I'll assess things and I move on.
1: Yep. put it in the box and
2: leave the box closed in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah mm. the box goes under the bed. You drag it out when you need to. I was offered some basic counseling through the insurance company, which wasn't much more than an obligatory phone call from someone, are you okay, do you want to talk to me? Mm. And that's basically how the phone call went. There was little or no follow-up from the company to how I was, apart from a phone call or how damaged is the truck.
1: I can't believe that.
2: Yep. That was the first thing he said to me. Mm. So then I sort of went in a couple of weeks in Bali, came back and I thought, well, got to get back on the horse. you right. I've got to make a living. Yep. I'm not going to give it away. So back I went, you know, the first couple of weeks were a bit tentative. And actually the first night I got to Brisbane, because I used to do a Melbourne-Brisbane shuttle, Mm. if there wasn't a lot of freight for Melbourne, they would send us down by Sydney. And I said to the guy in Melbourne, and who's still a friend of mine, a really nice bloke, Mm. I said, I'm happy to go to Brisbane. But I said, I will not come down that coast road if there's no freight out of Brisbane and you're going to send me to Sydney. Mm. So what happened when I got to Brisbane? There's no freight. You're going to Sydney. Yeah. had to drive past the accident scene. How would you go with that? It shook me. Mm. I actually got past it, mm. stopped, had a few beers, went to bed. Mm. You know, look, I don't often run late. Yeah, I'll run late if I'm tired and going to have a sleep. Yep. I just went to bed. I was due in Sydney at 6 o'clock. I think I got in at 2 o'clock that afternoon. Yeah, I was asked why. Oh, mate, I tell you,
1: it's even hard to try and fathom how tough it must have been for you. I'm sorry for what happened to you, mate. I really am. It's just one of those.
2: Oh, look, it's one of those things that happens in life, Mike. Hmm. Again, my message is you've got to make sure that you don't put yourself in a position where you are opening yourself up to prosecutions or ultimately finishing up in jail because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Because you've got family and things that it affects them. Yeah, of course, yeah. We've all seen drivers go to jail in the last few years. I'm not going to say that some of them probably didn't get what was justified, Mm. but I think there's been a couple of cases where guys were hard done by.
1: Oh, I agree. We don't go to work with the intention of being involved in something, and we all know how much pressure can be applied by someone in operations when they need something to happen because that's what the customer wants. We've all been on the receiving end of that at one time or another, and we've all given into it. I know I have. I have too. Certainly, back in the day, it was the reason for a trip with the black and white chemist to Liverpool. You know, so, <laughs> so it's one of those things, and you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Yeah, I've known a lot of guys over the years who have been involved in things similar to what we've been talking about here. For me personally, I've had a couple of crashes, but I've never had anything like what you've experienced. I'm surprised that you can be so frank and open about it. I'm gratified that you can because it it tells a very important story and a message to everyone that's listening about the importance of being legal.
2: Mm. Don't get me wrong, Mike. I still, yeah, on the edges might move 15 minutes here or you know something there. It is what it is. Yeah. But there's nothing major. I make sure I get my seven-hour break. So make sure that my logbook is up to date. Mm. And I'm hopeless at paperwork. I did some accounting at uni. I drive a truck because I don't do very well with paperwork.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I'm a long-distance driver because I don't play well with others sometimes.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't play well with others because my problem is I tend to tell them what I think of them.
1: I'm getting a T-shirt, mate. I think I might get one for you as well that says, if
2: you don't want the truth, don't ask me. Exactly right.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear.
2: Well, I sum it up this way. Poetry is like honesty. Most people don't like poetry.
1: That's right hey i want to find out where you're at now I mean that was 2016 that happened obviously you're back you're driving you're doing your thing and you don't have to drive through Tyndale anymore so that's
2: a plus uh, that's a great thing
1: do you see yourself staying in the game for much longer I mean obviously or getting towards the business end the same as I am mm. if there was a way out for you now
2: would you take it probably not at the end of the day I go to work and still like it yeah I'm one of the lucky ones I like what I do yeah I do so do I yeah Yep. You know, there's days I go, oh, I'd like to stay home or there's something on that I'd like to go to, but I actually like my own company. I like being on my own. I listen to a lot of books. Yep. I listen to my music. Like a lot of us, we're on the phone. You know, I've got some good friends that I've made. One of them you interviewed, Trevor Warner. Trevor and I will speak probably every day, maybe every second day for up to an hour at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't talk about trucks. We don't talk about transport. Yeah. I'm not someone who goes home and dreams about trucks. There's no pictures of trucks on my wall. I couldn't tell you what colour trucks Thirlwoods have got. They're across the road. Wouldn't have a clue.
1: Thirlwoods. So, well, they're not going to be there longer anyway. <laughs> so, <yeah>.
2: No. <laughs> and you must see it Two Guys go, oh, did you see this truck? Or have you seen this? And I go... No, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. This is a job for me. It pays my bills. I actually enjoy it. I enjoy the time I get alone. And like you, I don't always play well with others. So it's a good job for me.
1: Darren, it's been interesting to talk to you. It's been an emotional up and down, really. Thanks for sharing the story with me. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that the people that have been listening to your story take the message out of it. And the message is learn to say no, learn to be legal, and it can happen to you.
2: That's exactly right. It can happen to you and don't put yourself in the situation where you think it's tough right now that you mightn't see your kids on their first day of school or something else. But Mm. if you've done the wrong thing and suddenly you've got a five-year holiday at the pleasure of our majesty, you're going to miss out on a hell of a lot more than that. Indeed. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks, Mike.
2: Catch you later, mate. Line
0: number one, you're supposed to have it all together. When they ask how you doing, just smile and tell them, never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. The truth be told. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation, and education. Go to www.qr.com.au.
2: This is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, Radio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there.
0: The Australian Big Rig Radio Road The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.